Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Curzon Film Podcast. This week we'll be discussing the latest Pixar outing, Incredibles 2, as well as hearing from the film's producers, Nicole Grindle and John Walker. I'm Sam Howlett and joining me this week, the super stretchy elastic Steph Watts. Hello. Hello. The super speedy Camelie Campbell. Hello. Who dashed straight here from work. Uh, yeah, on the tube, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and we're delighted to welcome a very special guest with us this week, joining us from the Cinema podcast, Balancing Family Life with Fighting Crime on the Side, our own Mr. Incredible, Dave Corkery. Oh, thanks very much. How's welcome it going? Welcome to the show. Thanks yeah. for being here. Uh, he's just flattering you. Good to be here. <laughs> I know, I got the, I got the Mr. Incredible role. What, although he's the, he, he's the stay-at-home dad. That's his real exactly, superpower. Yeah. I yeah. don't know who I'd get. Mm. Mm. Violet. Yeah. Violet. <laughs> wish, wish. You're, just, you're invisible to us. <laughs> That's how I feel most of my life. Uh, if you would like to have your thoughts on Incredibles 2 read out on next week's show, uh, you can do so by emailing us podcast at curzon.com or you can reach out to us via twitter where we are at curzon cinemas uh so before we hear from this week's guests uh i just want to ask you guys about the first incredibles film so when did you first see the incredibles and uh what has it meant to you in the 14 years since it's released well i mean i think i saw it when it came out in cinemas but i can't really remember any film i saw in the cinema uh uh before 2005 (laughs) um (laughs) But it's stuck with me for a really long time. It's kind of been the gold standard for animated films since then. And, you know, I just love the soundtrack. It's kind of just been a go-to. What happened in 2005? Um, (laughs) Was that that when you woke up not knowing who you were or how you got there? I actually moved from South Africa and the last film I watched was Revenge of the Sith. So I feel like that had something to do with (laughs) that (laughs) traumatic event. There was no cinema before Revenge of the Sith. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> that, that makes it sound like it's the only thing that matters. <laughs> I'm really sad that I don't remember seeing this in the cinema because it's genuinely one of my favourite films of all time. Um, it's a big kind of family film for my family because um, obviously, like my parents remember taking me to see it, and yeah, I've, I kind of watch it a lot. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's like a really big part of my life I guess I saw it once in the cinema in 2004 Mm -hmm. and I never watched it again (laughs) Uh, so glad you're here it's not it's not been a big part of my life (laughs) but I liked it I really did like it I just it's one it's uh, one of the Pixar films that I just never rewatched for for whatever reason I think it Um, might be my favourite Pixar film I think it's Well, yeah, I feel like I'm the black sheep of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. all of a sudden. It's funny because the only um, Pixar film I've never rewatched is Ratatouille, so maybe there's something about Brad Bird. <laughs> <laughs> I never rewatched that one either. I don't know. It's, just, yeah. it's very... Yeah. I mean, both are great, but I just never saw it again. Yeah. yeah. I saw it at my friend's uh, bowling party. We went bowling and then watched The Incredibles for his birthday. I remember it really vividly. 
Yeah, I still love it. I, I'm like you, Steph. I think I watch it like very, very frequently. Like, mm. at Religiously. Least once a year. Religiously, yeah. Mm. So it's been quite a long time. So it's 14 years ago now. And when they announced they were doing a sequel, what were your like, initial thoughts about the idea of an incredible sequel? Was it met with optimism or scepticism? It was a hell yeah from me. Yeah. Yeah. I think the fact that they've waited so long and I think Brad Bird had said he didn't want to do one until he kind of felt ready to mm. do another one kind of yeah had had good faith in it um yeah but then again I found it absolutely impossible to actually uh keep my expectations in check yeah. just because I was so excited about it happening <laughs> I'm gonna be the dissenting voice again <laughs> I didn't care about this <laughs> at all uh I watched the trailers I wasn't interested or yeah. excited. I felt nothing. I've been burned. <laughs> I've been, I felt That's a hollow and dead episode. inside. I felt nothing. Uh, no, I felt, I felt, I've been a little burned by the Pixar sequels in mm. general, besides the Toy Stories. Uh, you didn't like Cars 2? <laughs> 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 um, so, yeah, I, I wasn't really expecting much. Okay. Yeah, I, I had mixed feelings about the sequel, but I think the fact that you've got Brad Bird back is a huge deal. Um, and we'll get into uh, the film in a bit. But before that, it's time for this week's interview. So Nicole Grindle has been working in animation and with Pixar for many years now, uh, fully graduating to a producer here, while John Walker has been at Brad Bird's side for most of, all of, his, uh, most of his feature films. And I spoke to both of them a few weeks ago. And we're delighted to welcome to the Curzon podcast, Nicole Grindle and John Walker, producers of The Incredibles 2. Oh, it's nice How to be are here. You? Thank Very you. well, thank you. Thanks for being here. So it's been 14 years uh, since the first film, and in those 14 years, superhero films have become almost, you know, kind of the default for the American blockbuster these days. <laughs> Ubiquitous. Yeah. yeah. Um, how did this affect your approaches to this film? Well, it was a bit daunting at first, um, but uh, Brad actually said that it it cooled his jets a little bit to work on this film initially. Um, But then when he looked at it, he recognized it's essentially a a film about family. Right. And that's what distinguishes it from the rest. Yeah. That's true. I mean, we had a big fight with Michael Giacchino at one point, who's a a composer of the film. He goes, you can't go back to that. You can't. There's too too many superheroes. We got to do something new. (laughs) And we went, yeah, but if we don't do it, somebody else will do it. And it's it's really about a family. He goes, oh, 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 all right. (laughs) So we did it. But he's come around since then. Yeah, now he kind of loves it. He did a great score for it, too. uh, He did. And um, did it take much convincing for the people at Pixar to uh, to get this? Oh, oh no, 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 they've no, been no, no. they they've <laughs> yeah. been great. I mean, they were like, when you're ready, we're ready. So right. yeah, uh, it, there was yeah, there wasn't too much convincing. No. I mean, once we got started, we had to convince them it was going to be good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there's always that. Yeah. But the idea in general of an Incredibles film, yeah. they were open to. Pixar's great about waiting until filmmakers yeah. really have a story they want to tell. Um, it's it's a great business model to right. make sure that your storytellers are. In inspired and and have the time they need to develop it and it turns out this has been worth the wait it's worked out and I think it's because Brad was ready to to write the story uh, now and you get this sort of weird collateral audience development feature that nobody really (laughs) thought about but it's you know if you wait that long Mm. kids that saw it at 10 are now in their 20s some of them have their own kids at this point and it's you have this multi-generational audience that it's like, oh, well, that's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. And there's a similar thing with Toy Story as well, right? So when I saw the first Toy Story, I was 
Andy's age, I guess, in the first one. I went to the third one. I was his age for the third one. Oh yeah, that so, that totally worked out. Yeah, we didn't plan it that way. Yeah, it's like it's all it's all yeah, it's all sort of serendipitous. But yeah. it's you know it, it we we go back to this. Well, when when the story's ready and the filmmakers are ready, that's when you do it, and you get these odd sort of. Yeah. serendipitous happy accidents about you know about the, that, that come up well and it's true too that the the stories we're telling reflect what's happening in the filmmakers lives right you know we had kids that were Andy's age yeah. um, so we were ready to tell the story of him going off to college when our kids were ready to go off to college I mean that exactly mirrored my experience Perfect. it was very emotional for me making yeah. that film because I was living it at home okay but what's interesting about Incredibles 2 then is that so I yeah I saw Incredibles when it came out 14 years ago but now that I'm watching it, now that I'm watching it now, it's not as if the you know, Dash and Violet have grown up because this film takes place seconds after the first one. That's right. Obviously, this was this was from Brad. But can you talk about why that decision was made not to have the film make a big time jump and see what's happening to the family in real time? Can you talk about why you think you've chosen to go yeah, immediately I, after. I mean the the. The one reason is it's a bold choice, sure. You know, and, and <laughs> yeah. that's interesting. The other is that the the superpowers are tied yeah. to who who the people are in the family and where they are in the family. So that you know the father is strong, so Bob has you know super strength. Moms are pulled in you know many directions, so she yeah. stretches. Violet is a teenager with you know a little you know who wants nothing more than to disappear and put force fields yeah. between her and everybody else. And Dash is a ten-year-old Ritalin kid, and you know babies <laughs> are nothing but potential. And if you age them up, yeah. suddenly those powers don't fit right anymore. You know, it's like the it, the it, the powers are pegged to how old they are and their position in the family. So that, okay. those two reasons. It, it's sort of like The Simpsons, you know? Like yeah, they, they, yeah. If, you, yeah. if you grew Bart up, it just wouldn't be <laughs> it the wouldn't same, work. right? And you yeah. can do it in animation, right? You, yeah, you, exactly. be, and, you know, right. we had to replace Dash mm -hmm. because he's yeah. 25 or four now. Mm -hmm. But everybody else, you yeah. know, it doesn't matter. You know, they they sound the same mm -hmm. and you don't need to do it. And you can't do yeah. that in live action. So, so there, there live go. action. <laughs> Um, so we're now we're seeing the film a year earlier than its initial uh, announcement. Um, is that you know is that a real was that a sign of confidence for you guys or was it a bit of a did it create this kind of chaotic atmosphere like oh my god we're losing a year what was both yeah both. okay. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it, they came to us because Toy Story 4 needed a bit more time to develop okay. their story and asked us if we'd be willing to move up. Yeah. And, you know, it, truthfully, we didn't have a lot more story, it felt, to us than t Toy Story 4, but we decided that, you know, they had confidence in us and we would go for it. Um, it was hard. It was it was a really tough, just under three-year uh, sprint to this point. Yeah. Okay. That's, and that's fast for, for Pixar, so. Yeah. Okay, so uh, John, you've you've worked with Brad on was it all of his feature films? Uh, I didn't do Ratatouille. Okay, but Nicole did. I was yeah. on Ratatouille with him, and uh, I didn't work on Ghost Protocol. Okay, but I worked on all the other. The majority. Of, okay, yeah. so can you talk about his what it's like um, witnessing his his sort of creative process? Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm a big fan. I mean, yeah. I, I started I started working uh, on Iron Giant yeah. with him and, and I just went on a job interview and started the, started work. I was the associate producer on that film and within the first couple of weeks of 
working with him and my job on that film was sort of just following Brad around yeah. and arguing with him because we had <laughs> we had a couple we made that movie in two years and it was you know not under the best of conditions at Warner Brothers and and so it was it was vital that we make it on time and mm. on budget and so we would just argue all the time and it became clear within really a, a couple of weeks that he was you know a fantastically gifted director yeah. and that I and I had seen a lot of directors over the years sure. and I was you know and frankly a lot of them had been hacks and it was it was <laughs> like wow this this <laughs> this guy's gonna make some great yeah. films and he has you know. Yeah, no, I absolutely mm. agree. And I feel that working with Brad, you learn so much about filmmaking. Mm. He has this enormous uh, body of knowledge that he carries around about yeah. filmmaking in general, animation as well, and, and he shares that with the crew. Um, he explains uh, very carefully in every single uh, meeting with the crew why he's making certain choices, and, and he makes references to all these different films that he's seen, and it's it's an education, and it's inspiring, and I agree, he's just an enormous talent. Yeah. I'd, sometimes I don't get where the ideas come from, they just seem to drop out of the sky. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's like you... you it, 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 it appears that all is lost, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and suddenly he comes in and goes, oh, "I got this idea," and you go, "Oh man, that's freaking great! <laughs> Where did that come from?" You know, I still remember. <laughs> yeah. um, he, he came into Ratatouille a little bit late, yeah. um, and so there were certain characters that had already been created. And Gusto uh, existed as a chef in that movie, and he came in one day and he said, "All right, I know this is going to sound weird." but I've decided to use Gusto differently. He's gonna be like this little fairy that floats around, and trust me, it's gonna be cool. And yeah. <laughs> it was the weirdest thing yeah, to, yeah. to suggest, and of yeah. course, it worked tremendously well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you had to kind of like stick with Go him. With it. Just yeah. trust yeah. him, yeah, yeah. and it's gonna be great. Yeah. So he killed Gusto. He killed Gusto. He killed Gusto. Yeah. 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 yeah, with his bare yeah. hands. Yeah, yeah. Which, and we always joked about it. I said, you know, if you'd had more time to make yeah. that movie, you never would have killed off Gusto. <laughs> you never would have had, you know, you, you were desperate, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it was a brilliant move. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, obviously, it's not all about the money, but uh, we are recording this the first Monday after its opening weekend, and you mm -hmm. have broken the record for the biggest animated. Uh, open weekend. Mm -hmm. We have. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's a pretty big relief for you guys, I guess. And oh, yeah. You're pretty happy about that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I, as I said, we, we were relieved just to finish making the movie sure. um, because it was so hard. But to have it so well received is amazingly gratifying. Um, it, you know, we just love watching people watch the movie and enjoy it. Yeah, and it means for us, you know, we're it's great. But it, yeah. what, what really, what really makes us happy is that it usually means we can do it again. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know that it's like yes. if you if you don't perform well at the box office, you may not get another chance, yes. no matter how many films you've yeah. done. Before. So our our like, license has been yeah, renewed. yeah. It's like we're <laughs> all right, one more. Yeah, you got away with this one. You got away with this one. All right, we'll let him do one more. <laughs> And um, so I guess Pixar's kind of known for making films that are, they're very uh, open to appealing to both children and adults. And I remember in the first Incredibles film, there's, a, there's an attempted suicide very early on. And uh, Just, you're right. there's these, you know, these big themes. When you say it that way. I know. <laughs> I just want to ask about it. And, and a bit of an, you know, and we allude to Bob having an affair. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone gets yeah. shot in the beginning There's of this movie. To, those are things that I guess a lot of kids will have to like ask their parents about later. 
But I wanted to ask about what's the process of making sure the balance is kept right, in that it, but also not that it gets too, I guess, too silly or too childish, so that it appeals to both of those you we, know, big we, audiences. We make films for ourselves, That's you know? Right, yeah. I mean, I guess we're just big kids, you know? We, yeah. we make something that we enjoy, um, and we don't want to exclude children, and we certainly yeah. don't want to terrify them. I think those illusions are, are fairly subtle. We yeah, scare them a little yeah. bit, though. We want to make it, you know, we want to get them a little scared, you know? <laughs> but I, I believe kids can take it, yeah. you know? I, yeah. I think that, that, that many filmmakers underestimate uh, kids, and, and they live in this world with us, and they know that the world is a hard place, and um, I think fairy tales can be incredibly intense and harsh. So yeah. I... I, I I dispute the idea that those ideas are off limits for kids. Well, and I, you know, I think I think kids love to learn about, and and it's okay if they don't understand everything. Yeah. You know, I remember my dad had a Charles Adams cartoon book, and when I was a kid, I loved the drawings, but I didn't understand any of it. Mm-hmm. And as I got older, I I was able to oh that what that's why that's funny. That's mm-hmm. why that's funny is I learned more and more and more. Yeah. And I think you know you want that. You want you know I crave that. I was like I want to figure this out. Why is that funny? Yeah. You know? yeah. There's stuff in Looney Tunes as yeah. well. There's yeah, a lot yeah. of stuff. Those yeah. were made for adults. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so you've you've both worked in animation for a while now, and I wanted to ask how has the perception of animation changed since you started? How is it treated? How is it, is it more respected and in what ways? Well, you know, like I said, I, 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 you know, Looney Tunes, I mean, the classic animation was made for adults. And I think yeah. the stuff that I watched when I was a kid was made for adults. And then over time, I think it became ghettoized a little bit. Um, when I first started in my career, uh, we were always trying to make edgy stuff for adults. Mm. I mean, I worked making stuff for MTV, okay. a show called Liquid Television, right. that was you know skewed completely to adults. I don't think it was yeah. really that interesting for kids. Um, and I think Pixar's been able to kind of land it back into this place where it's for all audiences. Sure, yeah. Um, so that's yeah. I mean, it's experience. certainly something that we have been working on for a long time. You know, it's like it is not it is not for children. It yeah. is for everybody. Right. You know, and that's you know that's a steady drumbeat that we have been hitting for twenty years, and it feels like especially. I mean, the thing that's most gratifying about this last weekend is that we have a huge percentage of the audience that are adults. Mm-hmm. You know, much more than anybody realized. I think it's yeah. about two thirds. Two thirds. I mean, and that's. That's like, oh right, you know. That's what we. I mean, on the first film, we had really wanted to push college, push it to college kids, and right. and and the, you know the marketing people were kind of like, oh, all right, and they we, but they did it, yeah. and they put us on a tour, and we went to different colleges and pushed it, and we were we're trying, you know, we tried, yeah. and and mm-hmm. it, it, you know, you move the needle a little bit every time, and and I think that that it's this one, I think, it really has mm-hmm. it's it's we can see sort of the fruits of the. That labor, yeah. yeah. I mean, come on, telev- there's a bunch of television animation that's for adults yeah, yeah. as well. So I, I'd like to just dispense with that idea altogether that it's just for kids. Right, great. Uh, congratulations on the film and on the open weekend. And uh, it's been a pleasure, Nicole Brindle and John Walker. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Yeah. Okay, so let's dive straight into the film then. Incredibles 2, written and directed by Brad Bird. 14-year gap between the two films and yet this film takes place immediately after the first one I think a lot of people would have expected from Incredibles 2 you're going to get like Adult Dash and Viola and it's going to see how they've 
aged as well. But this film, I think, makes a really smart decision to take place like seconds after the first one. I thought that was really interesting because with a lot of legacy sequels, like you said, they've kind of been aging up yeah. everyone. So especially with films that Disney's been doing as yeah. well. So like with uh, Star Wars Force Awakens and focusing on legacy characters and what happened to yeah. uh, your favorite heroes who are now... Uh, withered and weary <laughs> uh, but I thought it was a really interesting decision because you know there was the whole build up where Brad Bird was saying I won't do it again unless I've got like something that like comes to me and then yeah. like I'm surprised that that kind of eureka moment was he's like you know what I'll just continue it straight on from the yeah. last one <laughs> and I just thought that was a, a really peculiar choice which I think turned out for the best yeah because it kind of just acts as like a mirror to the yeah. first film yeah. in a and good th- way. Yeah, and I think you don't, um, by picking off, picking up where it left off, you don't have to kind of fill in all these gaps. What have you left behind between the first one and the mm. second one? What kind of new dynamics do we have to understand? It's just kind of, bam, straight back into it. Yeah. Is it Toy Story 3? Andy's like grown up as well. Yeah, yeah and he goes um, to college. Yeah, yeah. and... Um, I feel like with a lot of the Pixar one, Pixar films, you get a lot of this kind of like my children are growing up and they're leaving me type yeah. thing. And I was a little bit worried that that would be kind of what was going to happen with Incredibles. So it's mm-hmm. like a big part of its family. Um, but I'm glad that it it kind of stuck, yeah, to the same yeah. time and didn't try and kind of like tug on your heartstrings with that kind of narrative. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, I agree, Steph. I think. Um, it, it allowed it allowed him some freedom because he doesn't have to uh, go in and uh, dump a lot of exposition as to what everybody's been doing for 14 years. Uh, so it, uh, it definitely afforded a bit of freedom there, I think. Yeah, and as well, I think, looking at it in the sort of larger scale of Brad Bird's career, so this is his first, this is his return to animation, not just his return to The Incredibles, but his return to animation. He started off as an animation director, he did... Um, he worked on The Simpsons, did The Iron Giant, he worked with Disney in his earlier career, uh, and then he did The Incredibles and Ratatouille, and then he did Mission Possible 4, which I absolutely love. Yeah. Woo! Yeah. yeah. I watched that last night. Did you really? Yeah. Oh, great. Well, the football was on. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not talk about that. <laughs> it didn't uh, come home, guys. It didn't come home. <laughs> it's staying away. It's sleeping on the sofa. It's moved up for good. <laughs> it's grown up and left home. <laughs> yeah, and then he did Tomorrowland, which uh, was a bit of a disaster for Disney. Have you guys seen Tomorrowland? No, Disney? still yes. Nope. No. What, what, what are your thoughts on Tomorrowland? It's two-thirds of a great movie. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, it's, a, it's a failure, but it's an admirable failure. And, um, it, I think it's really interesting that it's, um, well, it's one of the few films where Brad Bird has mostly ceded control mm. of the narrative to Damon Lindelof, who in all cases is a good writer, but he just doesn't tie together. No. Like, he, it's the mystery box thing kind exactly, of blown yeah, wide yeah, open yeah. and yeah. just never really comes back together. But on the way there, it's really kind of thrilling because, I mean, it's Brad Bird. He knows how to put definitely uh, an action scene together. And he also turned down the chance to direct uh, Star Wars Force Awakens to do Tomorrowland. Well, I mean, of course oh, he would. Of course he would, obviously. <laughs> that but, could only have gone to a Mission Impossible director. Yeah, that, that, was, that, was, the, that, that was the policy. Yeah, yeah. Imagine John Woo's Star Wars. Oh, <laughs> Brian De Palma's yes, Star please. Wars. Do not, oh, that'd be great, Brian yeah. De Palma's yeah. Star Wars. Loads of split screens. Yeah. <laughs> split diopter shots. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that'd be weird. Um, so I guess this is kind of a little bit... I, I don't think this is necessarily seen as him returning with sort of his tail between his legs. Like, okay, I'll go back to animation if my live-action film career isn't picking up. But I think this is a triumphant return for him. The It's great seeing him 
kind of flex with the new technology and mm. budget that's available yeah. to him because mm. this film looks amazing. Yeah. Like, um, it's just kind of popping with these colours that the first Incredibles didn't have. Like, So on a base level, it already looks really amazing, but then he yeah. just goes the extra mile with all of the kind of powers that they put on display and everything just kind of yeah. moves perfectly. It's just really finely tuned. Yeah, I, this film takes so much time. Well, not so much time. It takes a bit of time to actually like kind of flex its like animation muscles as well. There's that whole sequence when they move into their new house yeah. and it's just Dash playing around with all the features and like that's just pure yeah. we can do this because animation has got yeah. better basically and they can do water yeah. oh, so well so now good. I thought they did water pretty well in the first one yeah they yeah, did to be yeah. fair the plane think, scene yeah. is like a standout yeah that yeah. whole bit I think is amazing actually I was thinking about this like the Incredibles film I feel like was was it one of the first like films where it was all humans in Pixar it's definitely the first Pixar film to have all humans yeah because I feel like that's, I mean, for it to be that early, yeah. like you, you have to make them look like people. You can't yeah. kind of just be like, oh, it's a fish or a monster and it can move however. Or a car. But, um, or a car, yeah. I, rem- um, I remember a way that they got around that was that they had a kind of technology that would like randomly generate um, figures yeah. for... Mm. Uh, and they just duplicate them, right? Yeah, yeah. so they focused all their energy on like the kind of main cast, which is actually not too big. Yeah. Um, and then they just kind of filled the background out with... Yeah, these well extras, I guess. <laughs> you can really see the the difference in the ba- the texture of the backgrounds in particular, and the detail yes. between these two movies. I think the animation has really moved along. You can yeah. see the difference there because obviously they couldn't, well, they didn't really do too much with the characters themselves because they had to, you know, m- moments had passed, so mm. they had to kind of look the same. Uh, so I think that that was very interesting. Uh, but it, 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 and particularly the action sequences in this movie, just the ambition and the scope of yeah. them. I mean, I, I think we'll probably talk about the the um, the flexi bike. Oh. Is that what it's called? <laughs> I it's hope so. Elasticycle. Elasticycle. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, petition starts now for flexi bike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That sounds like a kind of fitness class. <laughs> it does actually. <laughs> yeah. I mean, both do. I got it. But, <laughs> Uh, God. <laughs> yeah, there were definitely moments where I actually kind of gasped at how good it looked. Yeah. There was um, a bit with uh, Bob's Bob's wearing like a polo shirt and it has like yeah. lint on it and like it, it just it looks, looks so amazing. Good. Yeah, com- <laughs> compared to like Incredibles 1 where they have the like shiny suits that have no texture. Yeah, yeah we were talking about this yeah. before, weren't we? Yeah, because yeah. you were saying you didn't really like, you weren't keen on like the red suits. I've never liked the red suits. So I always thought the old, old ones are better. But then I've come around. This film is like, I'm, I'm a believer now. Like, uh, <laughs> because like you were saying, everything has so much texture and detail that even these things like feel like tangible yeah mm. uh, as opposed to you know just like uh, bits of rubber but you know it's like what the technology could afford at the time definitely mm. we can animate to... lint now <laughs> we're living in a golden age the kids the are gonna love it now <laughs> look mom lint lint <laughs> do you think there was, a, was there one guy at pixar who was like all oh, right you're gonna do the lint the lint you're guy. on the lint, lint job i'm afraid <laughs> and then someone and brad just kept coming around the lint is wrong <laughs> this is not lint <laughs> do it again and then he's like well it's not the lint credibles hey <laughs> wow <laughs> Weak. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I'm warming up. Yeah, okay. We'll get there. We'll get there. I also love this film. They seem to double down on the 60s setting. Because mm. I don't know if it's just me, but I always forget that the first film is set in the 60s. It was kind of ambiguous. It was ambiguous. Kind yeah. of in the way that like something like It Follows was, whereas um, it looks like the yeah. 80s, but there's also a cell phone, so it's a bit... It's like retro futurism, yeah. but with a blended... Like, just enough to keep you guessing, but yeah. this is absolutely set in the 60s, because I think... Uh, I'm pretty sure Mr. Incredible's watching like the Outer Limits or something. Yes. <laughs> like, bang on. Yeah. yeah. And, and they've got the, like, yeah. the furniture, the like low yeah. 
the low riding furniture. Oh, yeah. But I love with this about like being kind of set in the 60s that it's not kind of like dystopian cities. It's no, like right. utopian city where they've yeah. got like the monorail and that's kind of what people are like dreaming about yeah. at that time. Um, futurism. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of what uh, I think Brad Bird's really into that because that's a little bit what Tomorrowland's kind of about, about how like in the 50s and 60s people had this idea of what the future would look like. Um, and obviously that's what the sort of the subject matter of Tomorrowland and whether it successfully conveys that is another question. And we the maniacs burned it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but here he seems to just fully go for it and be like, I want this to be my, this is what my universe is going to be like, like how a real Disney idealized vision of like, like utopia, like, like you say. It's like the anti-Watchmen. Yes, mm. absolutely. <laughs> I mean, the first one was anyway. I mean, this deals with pretty much the same themes in, as in, uh, should we really like hand responsibility and our like our safety and put it in the hands of these like individuals who yeah. may or may not be nuts? And mm. um, I think it runs with it in a really compelling way, unlike you know Snyder's uh, whole thing. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I I will I will say though. You mentioned there that it, it sort of mirrors the, the themes of the first one. For me, it actually mirrored it a little too closely. I think mm -hmm. a lot a lot of this felt like retread material for me uh, in that it's essentially the same plot that uh, Mr. Incredible has in the first one. They've just sort of swapped, swapped mm. genders. The only difference is that it's not a secret this time. Uh, we've got eccentric billionaires uh, yeah. recruiting them to, to, do, to do work. I mean, they do double down on the... Um, the idea, the idea which you just you just stated of uh, of should we reinstate superheroes? But uh, for for me, it was a little too close mm -hmm. to to the original. I would have rather uh, just they completely opened the yeah. box and did something brand new. Maybe. Do, do you think that's partly because in the fourteen years between the first one and this one, we've had like the superhero boom, and that we're yeah. so used to seeing because that I mean the main theme of most superhero films, I suppose, especially. I don't know, is, is like... That's should, civil war, isn't it? Yeah, like, should we have heroes or should they leave everything to the authorities? That's kind of like a theme that most superhero films have. So do you think maybe that's... Yeah, legislation's really hot right now. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone like super. If your movie doesn't have superhero legislation, forget about it. And the, the Star Wars prequels knew the hot button topic yes. before even we taxation. did. Taxation. Taxation. Get those, ta the those kids trade want taxes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I... I don't know. I don't know about it mirroring the first one too closely because I think it twists enough on the parenting angle that it feels fresh mm -hmm. because a lot of the other one is like this redis this kind of I mean there's his longing for the past in this one as well but it's in a much it's a bit of a lower key than before. The first Incredibles is more about um this uh settling into a groove like kind of regretting uh letting go of your past and yeah. all of that and then this one has this focus on finding the joy in parenting i think he's just kind of lost without his work and he's just because pretty much that was his sole direction so uh now that he's kind of left at home he's rudderless but then a lot of the films like i think the film's most powerful arc is just in him spending time with his children yeah I loved all that stuff and really I, I, I'm a new father uh, myself we have a 10 month old and I was just and we brought our, our son to this it was a family screening we did check with the cinema they were happy with that <laughs> um, but the so I was sitting there with my son on my lap trying to sort of juggle him as he was trying to escape and it was like uh, Mr. Incredible <laughs> was doing the same thing so it was like this brilliant 4D experience uh, but but um, I really identified with 
so much of what what he went through and I think most parents will uh, and that's that's the beauty of what Pixar do best is finding yeah. those little relatable moments that humanize these characters so I thought all that stuff was just beautifully done you two are at the same screening right yeah I think we must have been at, like, oh, the one with the all the kids and babies screening. and the with dress. the arts and crafts yeah, yeah, yeah. The arts and crafts, yeah. <laughs> we missed all of it because uh, my son had a toilet emergency oh nice uh, so did I at my screening <laughs> <laughs> it was a press screening as well so it didn't go down too well <laughs> um, but you were saying to me earlier about how fun it was to watch the film in that that mm. uh, environment mm. yeah no I think it was good because as much as like I love the Pixar films and enjoy them as an adult yeah. I think it they are still kind of their family films and their kids films um, and it was really fun to see it in that environment where you can actually see the audience it's partly intended for actually watching and reacting mm. to it um, yeah. I also enjoyed the irony of seeing a couple of kids on their phones for the entire mm. film when the villain is called Screen Slaver <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, should we talk about the villain then a little bit? So obviously the first film has Syndrome, who I think is a really great villain, voiced by Jason Lee. Uh, this film has Screenslaver, who is a bit more of a mysterious figure, shall we say? Yeah. Um, I think uh, in that he's maybe a bit more kind of ambiguous. Yeah. I don't think it can really top Syndrome no. and the way that um, his kind of arc fits in with the story of the first Incredibles film um, but I think like it's still good and it's still kind of of our time mm-hmm. looks cool as well it does look very cool there's yeah. a, the bit when um, Elastigirl is fighting him cage match. in like the yeah the cage match, match. Oh, yeah. like strobe oh yeah. it's amazing oh yeah. by the way if you have epilepsy uh, oh yeah, yes. fair warning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that scene is amazing though. It's really like uh, throughout this whole film, Bird is really amazing at just creating these instant like tangible stakes. Um, you're instantly invested in this moment, and it's probably one of the more t- perilous and terrifying fight scenes ever because uh, the screen slaver character's got this like basically a cattle prod, which is mm-hmm. uh, uh, numbing. Elastigirl's arms and she and, kind of, and, she, and she's yeah. just kind of losing control of the body and it just becomes more and more tense as it goes <laughs> on and like it's just one example of all of these action scenes which just are really immaculately constructed and you feel so much like during those sorry like I completely went away from my main point because I wanted to, to say something about um, Syndrome compared to Screen Slaver and that like I think um, Syndrome might have been a better kind of synthesis of ideal mm-hmm. and someone that we kind of connect to emotionally because we've got his origin story that plays yeah. out at the beginning. So it's just the kind of story of the entitled, buddy. yeah, buddy, the entitled fan Incredible boy, boy. <laughs> <laughs> who goes insane when he realizes that something is not within his control, yeah. much like fans of some yeah, franchises yeah. today. Um, but yeah, then we have we have this kind of connection to the character already. We absolutely know where they're coming from. But with this, motivations are introduced a little late in the game, yeah. and then the character becomes more of a vehicle for this I- this opposing idea mm-hmm. to what the Incredibles believe. It's a really interesting one um, yeah. because it kind of I I thought it spoke to um, it's kind of spoke as this uh, voice that has been going against. Brad Bird and saying like oh he's an objectivist yeah. and like all of this and it's kind of the um, screen slaver acts as kind of a mouthpiece for that kind of idea yeah. which the film then refutes in a really good way but I get the, the kind of emotional connection to that character comes a little bit too late for me but I think it's something that I am going to appreciate on my inevitable second and third and yeah, whatever so hundredth viewing 
Uh, we're we're going to be no spoilers here, but I think there is a mystery around uh, Screenslaver that I perhaps could have done without. I just, yeah, I think it's a bit. It's very pointed to very early on. I think if you've the, seen movies, <laughs> you'll probably figure. If you've it seen out. a motion, a picture, <laughs> what's yeah. a movie? <laughs> talkie. How did uh, you get in here? <laughs> <laughs> what's a talkie? I thought they were just a fad. <laughs> They're never lost. Yeah, I think uh, it's maybe a bit unnecessary just with. Um, I think what works so well in in both of the Incredibles is the kind of um, superhero kind of being drawn in like by their own ego mm. a little bit which yeah kind of works in both of these films and maybe it the second one didn't need that kind of extra yeah extra bit but yeah they need a reason to get back into action i suppose and the main the the character that's pushed to the focus of this film is i think very much elastigirl uh helen parr voiced by holly hunter uh who has the most incredible voice ever and what do you guys think of her what do you think of her arc in the film the fact that she's uh brought forward because the last one she was slightly secondary yeah I, mean, I loved it yeah I think this film kind of just showed off that she's got the coolest power stretching powers are cool <laughs> it's very yeah. cool the way that Bird shows off her powers in just the this stacking mm. like number of ways that each one is kind of different from the last like we'll have, have a moment where she'll slingshot herself from yeah. a building and then just kind of turn into a glider <laughs> so <good. laughs> just these really it's a flying it's, squirrel it's so yeah. it's so creative the whole way through and every every action sequence with her just kind of feels like um you it feels like there's endless possibilities to what yeah the film could do and then the fact that it's an animated film also compounds that because the camera follows her in these really impossible ways as well so like like I was saying when she launches herself through the air the camera just sticks to her in a way that would probably be (laughs) just kind of (laughs) impossible or at least break you out of the immersion in another film that's live action because you know it's all seamless and it's all an animated film we are in a separate reality and not like you know grounded in the real world that's why this is the best fantastic four movie we'll ever get yeah i've saying i've been yeah. saying this for <laughs> yeah i think you can tell brad burr's been away from animation because of, he's thinking oh, what couldn't i've done in the past two films that i can do now and it's all to do with elastigirl because uh, there's hints of it in the first one where she, she turns to a parachute and she's a speedboat uh and you think more of that please and this was like okay you wanted more of that Here's the bike chase. The Elasta bike, we Elasta cycle. Elasta cycle. Yeah. Thank you very much. Flexi ride. Uh, flexi ride. <laughs> so, so, cycle, cycle stretch. <laughs> Two classes for twenty pounds. <laughs> yeah, I think that's really where the the film like really kicked into gear for yeah, me so. a little bit. Um, I think just because, well, this is the point where Elasta Girl gets to actually enjoy, like using her powers. She doesn't really get to enjoy. She just cleans up in the first one. Um, and then this one, you really get the like, you get yeah, yeah, all of her like really stretching. You get the amazing soundtrack, like just really jazzing it up in that scene. Um, and I feel like you really feel it kind of yeah. really moving along and like get a lot of joy out of it. I'm a big fan of the act two, also known as How Elastigirl Got a Groove Back. Like, um, <laughs> yeah. The um, the amaz- the kind of thing about the Elastic Cycle is twofold. It's like one, she used to have a motorbike, which is cool enough on its own, and then when you find out it breaks in half to accommodate yeah. her stretchy powers, and she just kind of gets to use them while she's riding the cycle to like launch herself onto bridges or buildings or like ride on two different surfaces at the same time. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, it's great. It just kind of. Um stomps all over do you know in the first one where kind of Mr. Incredible is going off in his car and he's like bye honey and then she rides off on her bike through a waterfall <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh yeah the bike chase is I think it's the best action set piece of the year 
Uh, Mission Impossible is like two weeks away. Yeah. So I'm going to hold my tongue. (laughs) But it's up there. Yeah. (laughs) But she didn't injure herself in any of the stunts. Yeah, that's why that kind of docks a point for me. I want to see actors in near death situations. (laughs) (laughs) I want to see bones breaking. (laughs) Bones breaking, rich people nearly killing themselves for my entertainment. Uh, the other highlight for me, and this is one that loads of people have been talking about, and it's something Brad Bird wanted to do for the first film but couldn't fit it in, which is Jack Jack versus the raccoon. Uh, we haven't mentioned Jack Jack yet. But, so, uh, good. so, in the first film, it's introduced that he can do anything and everything a little bit, and I forgot that they don't know that. Mm. I think that's carried on to this film that the fa- none of the family know what his powers are, uh, and this film has a lot of fun with what Jack Jack can do, and there's a particular scene where he has a pretty brutal fight with a raccoon this is just Pixar at its best yeah. isn't it it just felt like a short movie and it's yeah, like, yeah. which because they did that other short with Jack Jack, Jack. Jack Attack that's yeah. right yeah, oh yeah. with the babysitter that's yeah. right I love that it, bit it felt like a little bit like a little bonus mm. treat that Brad Bird gave us uh, so, so, so good but like just like the way he crafted it with him watching this uh, this old fashioned uh, TV show with the, 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 the burglar mask <laughs> and then the raccoon that's just so perfect um, and it's it's so was funny, but it's also ridiculously well choreographed. Yeah. Like, as a fight scene, it's very, very good. Um, I just, I loved it. My favourite thing of all Jack-Jack stuff in the movie, though, is when uh, uh, Frozone comes over to the house and uh, Mr. Incredible is exhausted and, you know, he first disappears into the other dimension. And I have listened to the clip of tired Craig T. Nelson saying the word (laughs) cookie in various different ways. (laughs) Over and over and over again. And I'm telling you, it does not get old. It's perfect. I, I love that with the whole, it could have gone really hard on the whole Mr. Mom route yeah, with yeah. Uh, him. But I love that it just, it's not that he's just like, oh, I don't know how to take care of my kids because I'm a working man. But it's more just like taking care of kids is exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> he's so tired. And um, the bit with Jack-Jack is just this cherry on top, which is a perfect bit of, physical comedy which actually kind of reminded me of um, The Iron Giant which Steph and I watched the other day like with mm. you know with the bit on TV where Hogarth is watching that uh, fake uh, sci-fi movie yeah. and then it's uh, kind of choreographed to what he does next when he mm. hears a noise in the attic mm. but it's just it's basically like I don't know just a juiced up version of that <laughs> yeah. uh, has your 10 month old exhibited any of the powers of Jack Jack yet though? he has the powers to uh, defecate uh, <laughs> on, whenever he likes <laughs> the power to very useful to be in danger at all times <laughs> wow <laughs> yeah it's amazing I also love Jack Jack and Edna Mode when he's yeah. uh yes. the, the lollipop but <laughs> yes. it's like her cigarette that's so good <laughs> that's really great I think Bringing back Edna Mode is a little bit um, indulgent. I mean, everyone loves that character. She's not necessary for the film. I think it's a little bit like, oh, people liked her, we'll throw her in. Uh, I still got a kick out of her. It was definitely like a good bit of fan service. Yeah, Um, yeah. Yeah, but like, yeah, I feel like I would have been disappointed if she wasn't in it. So I I feel like it's definitely like we have to have her in there, even if it's just for a a short scene. Yeah, and I think think it worked really well because, yeah, it added the kind of her meeting Jack-Jack and kind of... It softened her a little bit. Yeah, and it's um, the film shows so much restraint in that kind of area anyway that it doesn't. It didn't really uh, reflect on me. And also, we have the um, it's worth it for Jack Jack mirroring. Yeah, Edna as well. <laughs> speaking of, speaking of his powers as well, I really like the metaphor of um, Jack Jack having this like library of powers as like a whole. Ah, oh, yeah, like babies have like all this potential, and like, yeah. you don't know what they'll be yet. 
well, just a nice addition to yeah, all nice, of yeah. the um, other characters whose powers are basically an extension of their personalities. Yeah. <laughs> I hope his solo power is becoming giant because that absolutely killed me. <laughs> 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 terrifying, really terrifying. Uh, and what did you guys make? So we haven't spoken at all of that, actually about Dash and Violet. Uh, I think they're served well in the film. Do you think they have enough to do? I think I, so. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. Mm. Um, I, I was just going to say that. I think uh, it was nice that focus shifted a bit more towards Violet in this yes, one. Because um, the um, first film has this center around Jack-Jack's... No, not uh, jack Dash's potential about him having to hold himself back. And then the, it has that beautiful moment where he's running on water and he has that little cackle and mm. just, it sh- like shoots off. Um but with this one, I really liked that it gave us more of Violet's like inner life. Um, got her, let her show off her powers a little more beyond like uh, one fight with some dude. Um, like that was that re- <laughs> there's a really cool bit where she like throws one of her force fields like yeah. a bolt. Yeah. And it's it's cool that um, she got moments like that and more time in the spotlight. Like she got to plot and have these really inventive fights as well. Yeah. Um, da- Dash was is still like enjoyable, but he's just like shifted off to the side a little bit because we know we know his whole deal. He's kind of mm. his arc from the first film has more or less been resolved. So it's ha- I'm I'm happy that the film is content to let him be. Yeah, I feel like Violet's more of kind of a a well of kind of emotion <laughs> yeah. to get out of yeah her character because um, yeah we don't really see a lot of her in the first film. She gets that really nice um, bit where she actually steps up to the Tony Ridinger. Tony Low. Oh, yes. Tony <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she has more character arc. Dash's character arc is very kind of. Well, if my parents say I can do this, then I will do yeah. it. But then, yeah, Violet's got like a bit more independence and like has her own thoughts a little bit more. But yeah, I feel like Dash was maybe sacrificed a little bit in for this Violet. one for Violet. But I, I don't mind. I like Violet. I think it's a fair call. I think yeah. there's, a, there's more uh, drama to be found with teenage girls than a ten-year-old boy or whatever <laughs> he is. But he, I, I would say, he had no plot in this movie. He was just there to be Bart Simpson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he is very much Bart Simpson. Yeah, uh, I love the scene in the diner as well. That's like a great awkward dad moment. Oh yeah, definitely, absolutely fantastic. I nearly did a recreation. (laughs) (laughs) Your eyes bulging out of your head. Save something for the listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, would you like to see a third Incredibles film? Why would you think I'd say no? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, do uh, Do you think there will be a third Incredibles film? And yeah, would you like to see one? Would you like to see one take place because this one also has a somewhat similar cliffhanger to the first one where they could take you know start things immediately again or would you like to, would you like to see these characters older in a different environment um i think at this point we've gotten all we can out of the characters at this stage in their lives even if it's just like a few years like uh, violet's gone to college <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> even if it's just that smaller time jump then i think i'd like that but you know it all depends on whatever Brad Bird wants yeah. to do mm-hmm. uh, I'd be quite sad if we have to wait another 14 years for another I know, one yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I no, feel like thanks. the way that it leaves off yeah it just makes you feel instantly like yes I could watch another yeah. one right now um, but yeah I mean I think I'll be fine with it if they just leave it because I feel like it's such a kind of yeah they haven't messed it up yet and no, like, maybe yeah. don't make any more but I could definitely go for more. It's the benefits of being a film that's free from franchise building. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's great that it's kind of... Tur- I think it'll turn a lot of people around from just being like, oh, I'm not sure about 
Incredibles sequels and then just be like, more! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like instantly. I think it 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 um, begs for a sequel without actually doing it within the context of the movie, <laughs> if that I, makes sense. I'd rather if Pixar just put their resources into doing new things personally I'm kind of I'd be happy to to park the Incredibles yeah. not that I, I really did enjoy the movie yeah um but I uh, I I think they're they're best when they're being inventive and fresh and I, I I've said it already I'm kind of I've had enough with the uh, Pixar sequels but I think this is the uh, most f- biggest uh, opening animation or biggest of all time so yep. I think we are definitely going to get an Incredibles <laughs> 3 aren't we I feel like they'll want something but again they can't really give it to anyone but Brad Bird and do it. yeah, it feels like let Brad do it. It's like yeah. a, it's something that he does. Like Brad will do it, and Brad will do it. Yeah, but also I can't believe you'd slander Toy Story three like this. <laughs> no, no, I, I the, the Toy Stories are in, untouchable uh, in my mind. They could drop yeah. some, yeah, they could drop some other franchises, but I think this is one that has infinitely more potential yeah. than a lot of the other films because a lot of the other films are very purposefully intended intended as standalones, yeah. and then the rest of them are cars. But so like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think uh, I think this franchise is more suitable to sequels than others. Yeah, they also introduce yeah. a lot... We haven't spoke about the. They introduced a lot of new heroes in this one as well. Um, there's the girl whose name has escaped from my brain who can... Uh, Void? Void? Void, yeah. yeah. She was very cool. Mm. And there's the guy that spits lava. That's a weird one. <laughs> Reflux. Acid reflux. <laughs> reflux. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, re- I actually thought the owl guy was right, terrifying. He was quite scary. Yeah. I didn't enjoy that at all. <laughs> he was a bit like a Watchmen character. Yeah. For me, it was Although the, cr- the Crusher owl. was my favourite. Oh, yeah. Crusher, oh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was like, yeah, they don't get as much time, but it'd be, yeah, it would be nice to see yeah. more heroes. And they're them. very fun mm. and colourful. Uh, there's, there's a point in the film as well that I don't know if I've read too much into, um, where, because she gets given a new costume by the, uh, the Deva siblings, and... Um, she says, oh, it's, it's not colourful. I like things when they're really colourful and fun. And I don't know if that's a kind of comment of how superhero films are kind of have evolved mm. about oh, yeah. he wants Maybe. to just be, just wants to be fun and unironic oh, with his superheroes. Bit. Yeah, no, it was, the, it was like, what was it? She's like, I'm not a, I'm not a dark yeah, like, character. Like, yeah. I'm not angsty. Yeah. They I don't try- even wear costumes in the Marvel <laughs> thing anymore, do they? <laughs> It's just, I feel like Captain America has been slow. So the next film, he'll just be wearing cargo pants <laughs> and a T-shirt. I'm trying to see where the best place in The Incredibles a title to fit up the letter three in. It could be this the first E, I think. Ooh, the E, yeah. Incredibles. <laughs> or they do the uh, Roman numerals, just three I's at the beginning. Drift. Yes. Now you're talking. Two incred, two dibbles. <laughs> Sorry. And yeah, so we spoke a lot about it this earlier. Where does this rank in the Pixar pantheon to you guys? How does uh, it, it compare? Obviously, we're, how many Pixar films are there now? Like Loads. I don't even know. Yes. Oh, it's not a candle on the good dinosaur. Yeah. <laughs> I think in terms of like the new, yeah. the new generation type ones, it's probably one of my favourites. I mean, I I really, really liked Coco. Okay. Um, I think it's kind of level maybe a bit okay. higher than that um maybe not not as good as some of the kind of early like early 2000s yeah. pixar films but i think it's definitely yeah a really good one of out of the recent ones that we've been getting are you frantically counting the pixar I films? Did? yeah you you got you called it i think uh, if my frantic uh, finger popping here is right uh, 20 this 20? is 20th oh, oh. pixar movie okay but correct me if i'm wrong everyone uh, yeah god. i've got the list here in front of me okay uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's definitely the best sequel other than Toy Stories. Mm. Uh, I really didn't get on with uh, Finding a Dory. 
No, I mean, I never saw it. Didn't even, yeah, didn't even. Don't bother. Yeah. (laughs) Seriously, it was straight to DVD. Should have been. It didn't work for me. And then Monsters University's fun, but it's okay. It's forgettable, isn't it? Yeah, Mm. but forgettable. So I think this is definitely the best. And you're you're hitting nail on the head when you said that this is the best of universe that allows for sequels, without it feeling cynical. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's someone that allows for the best. I mean, I, I don't know how they got so much mileage out of. Well, they didn't get mileage out of it, but I was going to say cars, but... Hey. <laughs> three. Is no one What's holding out for up to, What's wrong with me today? <laughs> up two, yeah. Up two. Down. Up uh, further. Yeah, down, yeah. <laughs> uh, to kind of wrap up a bit here, it doubles down on, on the fun. I think they really go for this kind of... A lot. It's a very energetic film. It's a very colourful film. I think it might be funnier. I don't think it's better than the first one. I think it might be funnier than the first one, though. I think the first one does. I think the first one does family drama better, and yeah. it's got clearer and sort of more complex themes. Whereas this one is perhaps the more more successful in the comedy department than the other one, and the action department, and the action absolutely, and yeah. it looks yeah. better. Yeah. But I think you're right. I think the themes of this one didn't really land for yeah. me. I think they they posit a really interesting uh, commentary on society the screen slavery yeah. you can figure that out yeah uh, as, I, as i look at my iphone during the during the podcast um but i feel like it didn't really have anything to say beyond we are all slaves to our screens yeah like what's the there was no real resolution to that uh, i prefer pixar when they're presenting very simple morals that a child can understand upside down. Uh, <laughs> they are up, kids' films. <laughs> inside out, uh, it's okay to be sad. You know, it's, it's important to be sad. It's vital to be sad. I think that's a clear that's a clear message. I think this movie, for me anyway, is more about just let's have a fun time. Yeah. And it's, it's colourful and great, which is also fine. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Know. And I'm going to watch it again if just for the, uh, the, the all the action scenes. Yeah, yeah I mean, for sure. Yeah. Okay, so that is Incredibles 2, which is out uh, Friday the 13th of July. Ooh, not Friday the 13th. Um, and uh, on Cars on Home Cinema, we still have the recently added Mary Shelley, and you can check out our podcast on that a few weeks ago, and our interview with Haifa Al-Mansur. Uh, and tied into uh, Mary Shelley on Cars on Home Cinema is the Gothic Fairy Tales collection featuring Tale of Tales, La Bella La Bette, Princess Bride, Duke of Burgundy, and some more. Uh, and if you turn your attention to the Curzon blog, you'll find our f- podcast co-host Amy talking with the Young Feminist Film Club uh, about Mary Shelley and Frankenstein. Uh, it's a really great interview you can check out on the blog. Uh, just quickly then, we did our best films of 2018 so far a few weeks ago. And we've had Stevie Reeve, who says Isle of Dogs was one of his favorite films of the year. How do we feel about this one You know, with some time apart from it? I only watched it once. It was pleasant. I could watch it again. Yeah. Um, I haven't gone back to it yet because I feel like there's been a lot more out there. I haven't seen it. I've got a baby. I only get to see it. <laughs> like basically, you have to you have to figure out. Yeah. You get to go to the movies a uh, couple of times a month if we're lucky. And Isle of Dogs didn't make the cut. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Every years. <laughs> and then Gary Ashwell uh, is very surprised that the Best Picture winner of 2018, Shape of Water, did not get mentioned once on our Best of. Mm. <gasps> Slam. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's fine. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Forgotten about it <laughs> yeah. a little bit. I think it's a weird Best Picture winner. It's a weird yeah. Best Picture winner in a good way, but I think it's uh, mid-tier Del Toro. Yeah. Mm. It, it's, um, it tries to have things both ways with the fish man. 
<laughs> she tried to have things both ways. <laughs> 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 yeah. But uh, I think my main problem with that is like you can't have him be a nameless fish man who eats cats and then also expect us to <laughs> instantly get go like, yes, I get why this one fell head over heels in love with this person. No, but I hate cats, so for me it was like the ideal instant, man. Yeah, it's, <laughs> like, it's my hero. <laughs> Well, if you've got any thoughts on Incredibles 2, as I mentioned earlier, do let us know by emailing podcast at curzon.com for next week's show or find us on Twitter at Curzon Cinemas. So, Cam, you have something about Peyton Reed on Twitter? Oh, to uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I wrote a piece about... This is really mysterious. Uh, <laughs> I wrote a piece about uh, Peyton Reed's uh, 2003... Yeah, 2003 film Down With Love. Uh, okay. Kind of retro pastiche yeah. rom-com. It's uh, based on the old Rock Hudson and Doris Day sex comedies. It's a great movie. Um, I wrote about it in anticipation of Ant-Man, which is out in the States now, but we don't get it for another month or something. And yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and where can we find that? Uh, you can find that on birthmoviesdeath.com. Cool. Uh, Steph, anything to plug? Not Sorry, really. I'll put you right on the spot. I think I'm here next week to talk about Mamma Mia 2. Oh, so well. Oh, wow. Here we go again. <laughs> talk about Cher. <laughs> Mamma Mia. Dave, uh, Anything to tell us about upcoming cinema episodes? Uh, well, if you, if you want to hear more of me talking about The Incredibles 2, you know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what more there is to say. Or you can hear my wife's opinion. Yeah. So me and, me and Kathy uh, uh, did an episode which is live now, uh, thecinemile.com or at thecinemile on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Go listen to it on the podcast thingies. Perfect. Uh, so if you did enjoy the show, please subscribe, leave a review and a comment. And you can find us every Friday on iTunes and Acast. Dave, thank you so much for joining us this week. Thanks for having me. Thank you. It was fun. Goodbye from Cam. Goodbye. He's dash out of here. And stretchy Steph. <laughs> Unlikely. See ya. <laughs> see ya. Thanks. <laughs> thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Do 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 do. do. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.